0: I was interrupted a few weeks ago by a little surgery, and uh, it's, I think, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, this is a great Easter text. Uh, We've done Romans 11, and in Romans 12, verse 1, we'll do verse 2 uh, next week, and my ambition of going through Romans before I leave for Australia will mean that I probably won't be going to Australia for another 10 years at this rate. Uh, Romans twelve one. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, or this is your reasonable act of, of worship, or even your true and proper worship. It's hard to translate those words. I do want to say something to the boys and girls. Um, I didn't, you noticed I didn't give you a children's talk. That's because I want you to listen, if you can, to the whole sermon. And I want to tell you about a friend of mine. I grew up in a, in a place called Tain. And my friend, his dad was the minister in the church. But his dad kept using really big, long words. And the boy got really fed up. So I think he was only about nine or ten years old. He went into church one Sunday. And he sat there and his dad began to speak and his dad used a word he didn't understand and he lifted a massive dictionary, Oxford Dictionary, huge dictionary, and he plonked it on the pew and he opened it and every time his dad used a word, he he didn't understand, he did exactly the same thing. Do you know this? Almost from that day, his dad preached much simpler. Still preached the same gospel. And what I want you to do is, You sometimes go, ah, I didn't hear that, or I didn't understand that. Feel free, first of all, to ask your parents, okay? And But also, you can feel free to ask me at any time. You know that as well. So I do hope that you will listen to God's word, because we're going to look at something that's really important for all of us. We're going to look at our bodies, and we're going to look at the body of Jesus, because today we remember Jesus being raised from the dead, now in this, uh, just this very first verse, we learn some really important things about the church. You'll notice that Paul pleads with the people. He, it, it, he doesn't just give them a command. He pleads with them as brothers and sisters. And that's what the church is. The church is a family. And sometimes in that family, we get it wrong. I don't know in your family if this ever happens In fact, I do know it does happen. And if you told me it didn't happen, I wouldn't believe you. Families can sometimes fight and rub each other up the wrong way and get things wrong. And sometimes when that happens, you end up... Almost somebody will plead, please, let's not do this. And there's a sense in which this is what Paul is doing. He's writing to a church where there had been a significant amount of division... And he's pleading with the people, no, he's pleading with them to act as Christians. And he goes on in the whole of chapter 12 and indeed 13, 14, 15 and 16 to explain what that means. The Christian church is a family, it's a body, Uh, the only head of that body is Christ, we don't believe that a pope is the head. We don't believe that the queen is the head. We don't believe that a minister or a pastor or a priest is the head of the church. It's a body. And then notice he pleads in view of God's mercy. And if you're a visitor here, then what you need to do is go on the internet and listen to the other 40 plus sermons on Romans because that's all been about God's mercy. Romans 1 to Romans 11 is explaining what God has done. And it's in view of this that Paul then pleads with people to behave like Christians. You cannot ask people to behave like Christians unless they know Christ. And chapters 1 to 11 are talking about that. And then you'll notice also that he encourages people to think. The the appeal of the gospel is to heart and to mind. Now next week we'll look much more at what it is to appeal to the mind. But even here... He talks about this being your spiritual act of worship and he uses a word that you'll recognize, logikos. This is the reasonable thing to do. You see, there are people who want to say, they basically want to go like this. They want to go, I'm a reasonable person, but you have faith and you are an unreasonable person. This is what I'm going to say to you. And please take this as it is meant. It's entirely provocative. That's how I mean it. If you do not believe in and follow Jesus Christ, you're not being reasonable. The reasonable position is to believe in and follow. Now, you may not instantly accept that, uh, and I I accept your reaction, but I ask you uh, to think because uh, a huge part of what we're trying to do here is we receive God's word and we are to think about it. That's what Paul says. Now, the first thing here that he really says, and the thing that we're going to look at, is about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, I don't know how often you think about your body. Paul says that uh, the standard for husbands is to love their wives as they love their own body, because basically, very few people neglect their own bodies. We maybe have... Different understandings and different relationships uh, with our bodies, but our bodies are phenomenally important. I am, um, as you can imagine, the past few weeks I've been thinking a lot about my body because it restricts me and constrains me in some ways. And uh, when people cut your body, it's quite sore at times. And your body, how how the chemicals in your body work. They affect your mood. They, they greatly uh, affect how you are, whether you can sleep and, and uh, many, many other things. Some of you today are sitting here and you're in a your pretty bad mood and you're in a bad mood because you haven't eaten properly, because you haven't had a good night's sleep, maybe because you've been in pain. There are lots of our bodies affect us in so many different ways. But one of the things that we all need to grasp and to understand is that our bodies are in Incredible. They are stunning. Now, I saw a piece of video that I would like to show, if it's possible, uh, two weeks ago. and I was so stunned by this. Someone has managed to get the equipment to show um, a heartbeat of a child in the womb. And this was one, I think, at 20 weeks. Let's see if we can play that, Louise. And this is a, a baby at 20 weeks, boys and girls in their mother's tummy. And look at the movement. Jumping up and down. Now that's incredible. I've got another one that's from uh, shows nine minutes of a baby growing right from the very very beginning. The Bible says Psalm one three nine that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And sometimes I think it's worth you looking at your hand, looking at your stomach, looking at your feet, even looking in the mirror. And realising that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. One of the saddest things that's happening in our culture is that people are being taught that their bodies are ugly or that there's something wrong with their bodies. People self-harm. People, they put stuff on their bodies that, that hurt their bodies. People are being taught, well, maybe you're in the wrong body. Maybe you should change your body. And it, it's, it's really just an enormous mistake and an enormous error. Sometimes even in, in religious circles, people kind of say, well, your body doesn't matter. But your body really, really does matter. We all have bodies, but here's the thing. These bodies are not neutral and they are all affected by something, which has come into this world, came in through Adam, and it's what we call sin. So in uh, Romans 4 and verse 19, when Paul is speaking about Romans, in, in, in Romans he speaks a lot about the body, and he says that Abraham was 100 years old. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead and the story of Abraham is an extraordinary story uh, I'm not sure that there's anyone here who's 100 years old There are some of you who are closer to it than others and you do get to a stage where do you know this you think my body's as good as dead it's, it's getting that way you know I can't run as fast as I used to be able to run in fact I can't run in fact I'm doing well to walk you know, my major exercise is the TV button. That that you you know that your body is is in trouble. And here, when Paul was speaking about Abraham, he was saying, "This is an example of faith. He believed when God said to him that he was uh, going to become the father of many nations. His body was as good as dead. Now that indicates to us one thing about our bodies: that is, it, it's hard." For people to accept, and that is that all human bodies, every single body here, is dying, and we we maybe don't want to face up to that fact, but we are prone to decay, not just in our teeth, but we we live in dying bodies. I was um, there was an experiment. That was publicised this week, where some scientists have managed to revive the brain of a pig, and suggesting that at some point, you know, someone was asked, "What's the use of that?" and they said, "Well, nothing really." But at some point, maybe we can get where we will be able to keep our bodies going on forever, at least through our brains. And it's that kind of horror thing that you see in science fiction movies of the brain in the jar. Now, that's that's just a who wants to be a brain in a jar? Unless you're on Doctor Who. No, it, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible, horrible image. Our bodies are wonderful and they are fantastic, but they are dying. In chapter six, Paul speaks more about the human body being a body that is ruled by sin. In other words, our, our bodies, we might, there are things that we know that are good, things that we know that are bad. And our bodies often seem very inclined to do the things that are bad. Romans 6.23 talks about the wages of sin being death. The reason that our bodies die is because of this thing called sin, this rebellion against God, this tendency towards perversity and evil. Maybe, maybe some of you didn't like the idea that when we came into church this morning, the first thing I did was mention that 150 people have been killed in a bomb attack on a church in Sri Lanka. Oh, this is Easter. It's meant to be a happy occasion. Yeah, but this is why Easter. Because 150 people were slaughtered by human beings. Because that's what human beings do. There's something within humanity. And in this city... There's so much pain, and so much sorrow, and so much suffering. And it's not caused because people are good. And it's not caused by accident. It's caused because within humanity there is evil. And instead of just saying, well, there's evil out there, look at your own life. Look at things in your own family. And instead of blaming other people, look at yourself. I'm responsible for much that is wrong and evil and harmful it's just the something within us as human beings and that's why uh, Romans 7 let's see if we can put that one up it was talks about this body of death. I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death or this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Our bodies are wonderful our bodies are fantastic and yet it's our bodies that sin it's with hands that we hit people it's with tongues that we destroy people it, it, we, we do so much we have so much potential for good and we have so much in reality so much stuff that does harm And can I say that's one of the major difficulties and problems in our society where we have people who think if only the government changed the law or if only other people were in power then the world would be okay. No, no, that's not how it happens. But this is Easter and so we remember that Christ, God's son, came in a human body in Romans 8, we, we read about that. God sent his son in the flesh. And I think that's an amazing thing, that that video you saw of, of a baby in a womb, just think that Jesus was like that. Jesus had a real body. Do you know, it's one of the reasons I don't really like pictures of Jesus in cathedrals, and dare I say, even up there, because like Jesus doesn't look like a Dondonian, does he? although he's white in that, and he wasn't white in reality. We don't know what Jesus looked like, but I'll tell you this, Jesus looked ordinary. He would have been an ordinary baby. He did not come out of the womb not crying with a halo around him. Right? He would have been messy and blood and everything. Did Jesus cry? Of course Jesus cried. Did Jesus feel pain? Of course Jesus felt pain. Did Jesus have emotions? Did Jesus get sick? I mean do you think Jesus as a child never got sick? Why would you think that? He suffered as we suffered. Did he ever get lonely? Did he ever get hurt? The only difference with Jesus from us is that Jesus never sinned. He never did anything wrong but he felt the effects of sin. In fact maybe felt it much more than we did. God sent his son in the flesh. One, one of the things that bothers me a little bit about the way that people talk about religion and, and Easter and, and Jesus and so on is they make it so kind of like a fairy story. And it's not, it's real. Jesus really came in a human body. I mean, if you shook his hand, it would be human flesh. You know, it, just utterly Incredible. And you think about Mary, you think about Mary seeing Jesus on the cross and just the pain of that for her. She cleansed him. She bore him. In the ancient church, they called her Theotokos, the mother of God. And sometimes as, an, as a reaction against the worship of Mary that's occurred in some churches, <laughs> some of us as Protestants have backed away from that don't back away from it the early church fathers had no problem in using that phrase and we shouldn't have any problem in using that phrase because in that sense Jesus being God being fully human but also God yes she was and it's extraordinary to see her own flesh bone of my bones flesh of my flesh blood my blood suffering in that way Christ came in a human body And that's because he came to be sacrificed. Romans 3.25. Go on to that one. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. See, again, one of the most frustrating things for me about Easter is you get all the Easter messages and so few of them actually are the Easter message. Because they say things like Jesus was a really nice guy and... um, Uh, I'm not making a political point here, but I saw Jeremy Corbyn's Easter message and the first 10 seconds were brilliant. Christians remember Jesus' death and resurrection. The next two minutes were awful because basically it went, Christians remember Jesus' death and resurrection and at the end it's Jesus says vote labor. Well, um, (laughs) I'm sure Nicola Sturgeon and Theresa May and Donald Trump and all the rest of them would all do exactly the same thing. Everyone takes the cross and uses it So the shops are taking it to sell their products right now. But that's not what Easter is about. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Jesus was born in a human body so that he could die. And not die because of his own sin. Not born into a body that would die because he had sinned but he would die because we have sinned because our bodies are corrupt they could not be offered a sacrifice well, why would God need a sacrifice no God needs justice God gives justice and it is not right that people who are cruel and wicked and lying and deceitful people who hate God should then just be forgiven That needs to be dealt with. Their sin needs to be dealt with. And the great paradox, the great puzzle was how could God save people and yet deal with their sin? And the great answer, as Paul gives us in Romans, is that Christ came as a sacrifice of atonement. So Christ had a real body. Christ's body died. He did really die. Some sections of islam teach that jesus didn't really die that he just swooned and so on but he did really die he experienced and went through death and then today we remember especially that he was resurrected romans 1 4 he was appointed the son of god in power by his resurrection from the dead jesus christ our lord how do we know who jesus is this man who lived almost 2,000 years ago, this man who performed miracles, this man who died on the cross. We know that he's the son of God because he was raised from the dead. Oh, I don't believe that, you say, because people don't rise from the dead. Well, brilliant. That's the point. People don't rise from the dead. But Jesus did. And that changes absolutely everything. If you're not a Christian here, the question you have to answer today is not whether you can go out and be nice to people, not whether the world will be better off with more Christianity, but did Jesus rise from the dead? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, it absolutely changes everything. I know of nothing more central to my faith than this. I believe absolutely that Jesus rose from the dead. And everything else stems from that. Well, we're going to sing just now uh, Psalm 16. Um, and you may have thought that was a very short sermon. Well, that's only part one. Part two will come in a while. We're going to sing Psalm 16 from verse seven, part of it. The tune will be Golden Hill. We sing it cappella, And we'll also take the collection as Ian is waving at me because we forgot about that. I'll praise the Lord my God whose counsel guides my choice and we will uplift the collection during this. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise. Fine. Amen Let's go back to Romans 12:1, and I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now the thing about this is, the idea of offering your body in worship would, for many of the Greeks, have been a shocking thing to say, because they'd been brought up to believe that the body was a prison. In fact, if you are a, a Buddhist today, that's what you believe. You want to escape from the pressures and the pains of your body. And sometimes Christianity is presented in that way as though, you know, we're about saving souls, not about the body. There's a, um, a great Greek saying, and I'm sure Thanos and Maria will forgive me for my pronunciation, but uh, soma sema estin, the body is a tomb. The body is a tomb. And you know, I think we treat the body like a tomb. We decorate it like a tomb we behave sometimes as though it is a tomb. Often in in Christian evangelism, people will say, give your heart to the Lord. Paul says, give your body. It's interesting, isn't it? Sin shows itself through our bodies. We are told in chapter six, he says, don't offer your bodies as parts of sin. In chapter eight, verse 10 he says this about the body being dead but the spirit is is alive if christ is in you then even though your body is subject to death because of sin the spirit gives life because of righteousness and if the spirit of him who raised jesus from the dead is living in, in in you he who raised christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you now this is an extraordinary thing for every christian here and i think it's an extraordinary thing for those of you who are not christians Because Jesus says, when we believe in him, we are given eternal life. Not, we will get eternal life down the road, but we are given it. And what that means is this. It means that the same spirit, as Paul says, who raised Jesus from the dead, is the spirit who lives in his people now. And so, although this body that I have, and the body that you have, is going to decay, and will fade away, and at some point, and may God grant that it will be in peace, at some point you will be lying there and you will breathe your last breath I, I, um, I told you about Michael Green the evangelist when Lindsay Brown was here and he was staying at our house and Michael phoned him up and he just said to him they're going to try something but I'm going home today and it was you know it was there was just a, a kind of it was weird because it was such a sad thing somebody dying which it always is and yet such a joyful thing Because there's something, God's spirit within. And it's a kind of promise, the same one who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Or in Romans 8 again in verse 22, we know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The redemption of our bodies. Those of you who have seen a loved one die and you've seen and felt the decay and the pain. Have you ever wondered about the redemption of our bodies last year myself and Annabelle had the privilege of going to um, the States and we were in Mississippi and we were visiting a very, very close friend of Annabelle, a kind of soulmate to her, Suzette who had cancer and the usual, the chemotherapy and the hair, you know, gone and just a covering on her head and uh, it was a real privilege to be there. Well, she died a few weeks ago. And her husband wrote me an absolutely lovely, lovely letter. The immense sorrow that he feels. And yet the joy that he feels that she is free and that her body is renewed. Seeing the pain that they went through. See, that's the, the hope that we have. And the body, it is important. We don't, we don't split these things so our bodies are saved as well. Now, that's why Paul says all of this, and he applies this. Um, we don't say that, you know, oh well, now that I'm saved, I don't need to bother about my body. I will just let it go. No, the, the Romans has been saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. There's a battle that goes on, and Paul here uses five technical terms that are involved with with worship and, and public worship, and again, this is a huge mistake that's made in the Christian church. If you think the church is this building, beautiful as this is, if you think the church is Notre Dame, if you think the church is the clergy, if you think the church are the services, you do not understand what New Testament Christianity is, the most radical teaching in the whole world. This is telling us that God's people are a priestly people who offer their bodies. It's holy and pleasing and reasonable. It's an act of intelligent worship, not just ceremonial. How many people will go into a building today and say, Do you know, this building is lovely, makes me feel really spiritual? Or, I heard that music, makes me feel really spiritual. Or, I see that image, it makes me feel really spiritual. It may move them. It's not worship. Worship is intelligent, not in the sense of you've got to be mega brainy, but in the sense of we know what we're doing. We know who we believe. We know who we are worshiping. But what about this idea of offering ourselves? Doesn't that sound a bit cultic? I think it's meant to, actually. Doesn't it sound a bit extreme? Isn't it the case that many people go to church and indeed many people present the gospel as this, you come to church and we'll give you something. But no, no, we come to church to offer. And you are not here so that you can receive something for yourself and a wee pep talk to get you through the week. If you are here as a Christian, you're here to offer yourself to God. And because it's your body, you're taking your body home with you. So you're going to worship when you go home. You're going to worship tomorrow at work if you don't get Easter Monday off in this pagan city. But you you will be worshiping. I don't come to church, do the liturgy, make an offering and say that's fine. God says, no, no, offer your body. Everything. Give it all. I love, um, there's a, a quote from uh, Epictetus, who's a first century Stoic philosopher, not even a, a, a Christian, but he said this, if I were a nightingale, I would do what is proper to a nightingale. And if I were a swan, I would do what is proper to a swan. In fact, I am logicos, which is the word that Paul uses here. I am a reasonable, rational being, so I must praise God. The reason our society is going so insane is because people are not doing the reasonable, rational thing. It's not that we've become more reasonable, It's we become less reasonable. And that's why this offering here, it's not a a work that you do to somehow appease God because that's already been done through Jesus Christ. It's as uh, Thomas Erskine of Linlathen said this, in the New Testament, religion is grace and ethics is gratitude. We behave as Christians not because we fear hell, we behave as Christians because we are grateful for what Christ has done. And if you're a Christian, your Easter is pointless. If you go around saying, I'm celebrating Easter, and then tomorrow, it doesn't impact or affect your behavior. Now, I don't have time, but I'd love to go through the whole of Romans and talk about how Paul tells us how we offer our bodies. We don't pamper our body. You don't worship your body. You don't live for your body. But your body is important. You don't abuse your body. And you can abuse it by neglecting it. You can abuse it by overindulgence. If you overindulge in alcohol, you're abusing your body, not just your liver and your kidneys. I don't know if you've ever seen the film Supersize Me, put me off McDonald's for years. I've since backslidden a little bit and go for breakfast. But in Supersize Me, the guy goes and he lives off McDonald's morning. Afternoon and evening for a whole uh, month. And it's a a most fascinating film. It's grotesque, actually. But the harm it did to his body. And we need to think about that in, 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 in all different kinds of ways. You know, there are Christians who say, oh, yeah, well, you know, sexual immorality, that's all wrong. Yeah, but what about gluttony? Why is that not wrong? What about not looking after yourself exercise-wise. What if you're like the man who, um, I think I've told some of you this before, but this still amazes me. I was lying in ICU, and there was a man there who was yelling at the nurses. He'd spent a £1,000 on drink the night before, and his liver was so shot through, and he was yelling at the nurses, you have to fix me, I want out of here, I'm a businessman, I pay my taxes, that's what you're paid to do. And if I could have spoken, I would have said you idiot. But I just say it in my head, kind of tube in your mouth, you can't speak. But, you, you, you know, it's that kind of attitude. You abuse your body, what do you think is going to happen? So there are people who are obsessed with their bodies. You know, they're, they're at the gym morning, afternoon and evening. Obviously, not the person who's standing right here. But there are other people who neglect their bodies and just let them go. And we have to mention, of course, the obsession of our society, which is sex. And let me quote what Lloyd-Jones says. To put it bluntly and plainly, sex is given to you by God, but if you use your body and your sexuality to indulge yourself and your own appetites, you are not only violating your body, you are violating your humanity. And I don't need to say anything more than that. That's the saddest thing. People selling their bodies or using their bodies in a way which is demeaning and dishonouring to them and to others. Or sleep. You know, we don't live for physical fitness, but a healthy mind and a healthy body is not a bad adage. And what a blessed gift sleep is. Um, I, you see it in small infants. You know, I've our grandchildren are staying with us at the moment. And uh, I, I can tell you, Number one reason for crankiness. Why does a baby cry? Because they're tired or they're hungry. And sleep, sleep does so much wonder to so many things. Those of you who get older, uh, those of you who are older, you'll realize this. You, You read Ecclesiastes 12, you know what I'm talking about. You know that there's just, oh, the blessedness of sleep. What bliss to be able to go to bed at nine o'clock at night and manage to get through to the dawn. Um, those of you who are students are going, what? Sleep is just a pain gets in the way. Um, you'll find out uh, as, as you go on. But we are to do all of that with our bodies. And then we are to put our bodies at God's disposal. I, this is true. I just happened to be reading this this week from Chrysostom. He says this. This is what it means to worship God with your body. Let not the eye look on evil, and it's a sacrifice. You know that something's wrong and wicked and evil. Don't look at it. That's a sacrifice. Let the tongue utter nothing base, and it's an offering. You want to hand on that juicy piece of gossip. No, you're not going to do it. Let the hand work no sin. And he says it's a holocaust in the original sense of the word of of a, a, a a burnt offering. Or perhaps in the words of the hymn, take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. You see, if you say you're a Christian in your spirit and in your soul and you take the doctrine of grace, so well, God forgives my sins so it doesn't matter. You haven't understood grace because God forgives your sins so that your hands can serve people, so that your tongue can speak grace, so that you can glorify God by the works that are done in the body. Because you see, it's a living sacrifice. We are alive. We are alive to God. We're not dead in sins and trespasses. Christ sacrificed his life so all of us could worship him with our lives. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a look at this uh, picture that I think has moved many people of, this is of course Notre Dame, and I was watching this. And you know, if you've been to Notre Dame, an extraordinary building, a beautiful building, And when the tower fell, there's all different kinds of things and of course I'm melodramatic so I was thinking this is symptomatic of the fall of Western civilization and so on. But do you know, they've been talking about this and they've been saying, I mean, there's two billionaires I think given almost a billion between them. Do you know there's 300 churches being destroyed in France in the past five years? Do you know that there's... um, I mean, this was obviously an accident. It's been reported as an accident. And it's rather silly of people to go around and seeing, you know, Islamic plots and stuff everywhere. But I, th- I do think that this picture is very, very symbolic. And I'm amazed at how many Christians say, and I, I think it's a beautiful building. And I don't think there's anything wrong with beautiful buildings. But I, I, I don't understand how many Christians going, do you know this was just the heart of the Christian faith or the symptomatic of the whole Christian faith. Because I tell you this, every single Christian in here is more profound and more beautiful and more full of God than that building ever was or ever will be. You know, you need to, you need to understand and you need to grasp that. I read of a biologist who was a mentor to Richard Dawkins and at one point in his life he said, I would grieve more for the death of a giant fern than I would... For the death of a 100 Chinese. This is where the new humanism, humanism leads us. Do you know this? Those people who wept over Notre Dame, and I'm not saying that's wrong at all. I felt I a great deal of sorrow about it. But just think about those 150 people who've been killed. They're the church. Not that building. That building's not the church. And this building's not the church. We are the church. The people are the church. And that's what Paul is saying. And again. I, I'm just stunned sometimes when you read things that God brings. This, to me, this was just so profound. I, I get excited about these things and other people don't go, oh, you get, so let's see if you have the same excitement. Chrysostom again, he says, if it were a grievous act of sin to throw down a church as in a church building, more, how much more is it to do so to the spiritual temple since a man is more dignified than a church? For it was not for walls that Christ died, but for these temples. Christ didn't die for Notre Dame. Christ died for you. Christ died for us. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ. No billionaire can ever offer anything like that. And that's why, let's go on to the next one. Paul says, we are the sacrifice and so what does it mean for us to offer sacrifice? Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continue to offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. When Owen prayed, it's a temptation, isn't it? It's a temptation to back off. We live in a culture where because an England rugby star liked a tweet by an Australian rugby star, he was booed on the pitch by people who are Ignorant as can be. He won man of the match in his game yesterday, and there was a Twitter storm saying that shouldn't be allowed. We are very closely getting to a point where there are these mobs of people who, if you profess the name of Christ, be careful what you face, but never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. Never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. We offer a sacrifice of praise and the sacrifice of praise is not just that we come here and we sing praise to God, it's that tomorrow we openly profess his name. Not yelling at people and shouting at people and condemning people, but when someone says, what did you do yesterday? You say, you know this, I went to church and I celebrated. You're not one of them, are you? You're not one of them. I was asked that a couple of weeks ago. And I said, well, yeah, it goes with the job, kind of. But I, but I, but I am one of them. I am one of them. And then this guy said to me, you people are everywhere. I said, yep, watch out for us. We are everywhere. We're worse than the Masons. Um, 1 Peter two five, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, our worship here would be utterly useless if it were not for the fact that Jesus died for us and so he takes our prayers and he takes our praise and he takes this poor, pathetic preaching and God is glorified and it rises a sweet incense to him we are the sacrifice I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God this is your spiritual your reasonable your logical act of worship so yes I'm not one of those people who say it doesn't matter if we come together as a church yes it does because we're brothers and sisters together. We're at the Lord's table when we have communion. We, we're supporting and encouraging one another. We're proclaiming God's word. We are here above all to glorify him and to worship him. I'm, not, I'm never, ever, ever going to decry that. But I'm going to tell you this. Your worship only begins here. It continues when you walk out the door. And it continues in your home. It continues at your work. It continues at your sport. It continues wherever you are. This body is for Christ's use and don't take the body that belongs to Jesus Christ and use it for things that hurt and harm him. Maybe finish with this. From Romans 10 and 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Ah, you say, I'm an atheist. Well, thank you for being here. You're an open-minded atheist that you've come. Good for you. And I do want you to think, and I do want you to question, and I do want you to find out. A lot of us were atheists too. Oh, I'm agnostic. I don't know. Good. I like the humility. As they say in Dundee, don't know ken. Right, but you can, ken. And you can know him. If you admit you don't know, you also admit the possibility that you could know. And so you need to seek and you need to find. But for some of you here, you've kind of faffed around on the edges enough. You know that Jesus is God. You know that he rose from the dead. And he's not interested in you just joining a church or, or uh, attending a service every now and then. He wants you to commit your whole life, body, heart, soul, mind, spirit, To him, with your heart that you believe are unjustified, with your mouth that you profess and are saved. Maybe today, Easter Sunday 2019, is the day that you will say to the Lord, Take my life, Lord. Let it be consecrated, Lord, for thee. Let's pray. Almighty God, who sees that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, Help us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Grant our God that each of us who believe in you may know that we have been bought with a price, that our bodies are not our own, that we are here to worship you. And even though we may be decaying outwardly, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, grant us, O God, to experience that today of all days. And granted any here who as yet do not know you. Lord, come to them, work in them, and enable them to bow the knee to Jesus. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Let's finish by.